Oh, I was just going to say that, yeah, the college I went to, UC Riverside, had that same marketing. They said, listen, there's nothing exciting here, <laughs> but we're an hour away from good shit in all four directions. Excellent. Wow. I always tell people we're an hour from uh, San Francisco, hour from Oakland, hour from San Jose, hour and a quarter from uh, Sacramento. Yeah. Well, as comedians, I always say we're an hour away from suicide, an hour away from an open mic. <laughs> yeah, I would say so as well. Uh, with that being said, welcome to the Hypothetical Comedy Podcast, everybody. Woo! I am Funky Sam Medina. And I am Athena Rodriguez. And we're here today with, he is the pun king. He is comedian Charlie Spink. What's up, Charlie? Yes, I am mildly funky Charlie Spink. Great to be here. <laughs> that too, that too. Hell yeah. Yeah, I took that tone. That tone loke. What? That's from the, the song reference. I think you're doing it already. Funky Comedina. <laughs> <laughs> the pun king can't just just can't stop. I can't stop, won't stop. No. I am unable to. I am rolling through. I invented the California stop. I just slowly roll and take a right. Never stopping. <laughs> ever. Nice. Well, I got pulled over for that once. Well, not me personally, but I was in the car. Ooh, and the well, car I walked know. over. He goes, that California roll ain't going to cut it, buddy. <laughs> and that's why that's I just what the want some sushi roll. right now and that's how i learned what it was because <laughs> the cop yelled at us for it <laughs> well i know people think that because i'm a caucasian i don't deal with police brutality um but i remember i was pulled over on my birthday last year true story and the cop he didn't give me a ticket but he didn't even say happy birthday and i felt so wrong oh what a he did give me a card with a a, a gift card in it though so that was fine like it could have been worse but I know police brutality. Okay, That's I've been there. Cool. He did not even give me the secret handshake that us white people have. So <laughs> I felt left out, left out of the club. I didn't even know about this handshake on your birthday, yeah. and did, and on... just looked at it and didn't even didn't even say it. Oh, yeah. Gosh. Oh, like, yeah, sure, I didn't cause... get beaten physically, but emotionally, <laughs> that took a toll. Yeah, that was is. like the people that used to work at the Bay Bridge before a fast track. That took a toll. That's what it did. Oh I wonder if they ever say the happy birthday or bouncers even like happy birthday. I guess if it's a hot chick, maybe a bouncer will, but because they're looking mm -hmm. at your IDs too. And like the bouncers have to know what the date is just in case you were born that day 21 years ago. Yeah, you have to do that math. You have to be able to count to 21. In fact, being a bouncer <laughs> yeah. is like being a blackjack dealer. You only need to know 21. <laughs> That's the only math that needs to add up. Hey, so you recorded a special recently. I did. It was a very special special. Isn't that special? Congratulations. Uh, it was at Yoshi's Jazz Club in Oakland, which legally makes me a jazz musician now. I'm a cool cat. I'm a hep cat. Dude, I'm always scatting. I have heard of Yoshi's, and I saw some pictures from uh, from your from your special, and that place is huge. I had no idea. Well, it's all angles. Oh, okay. It's huge <laughs> in the same way that I'm skinny. Oh, you take pictures from the right way. Excellent. Then that venue looks fuckable. But no, it's a very good looking venue. Uh, the crowd was well dressed. There was sushi and appetizers. It was a classy, classy night. Uh, I was dressed in a bright red suit. I looked like the love child of Steve Harvey and Santa Claus. Did, did anybody come look. up to you at catering and saying, these California rolls ain't going to cut it, buddy? They did not. Good. No, but, good. Uh, but I don't speak to the help anyway. So. <laughs> oh, damn. Good point. Good point. I have people that do that. My butler's butler handles that. They're both named Jeffrey. Excellent. Good point. One's black, one's white. I'm not going to tell you which is which. <laughs> That's awesome. So how was it? How was the experience? 
It was a once in a lifetime experience by way of I've only done it once. Hell yeah. But I felt a lot of support. I had a dressing room with a really cool sign. Nice. It said, Charlie Spink, keep out. And Wait, they were telling you they were telling you to keep out? I think they were telling me to keep out of my own dressing room. So I did the first 20 minutes completely naked because oh I listened to signs. You know, I'm like a person that believes in astrology. I listen to signs, especially ones from above. If it says keep out, I'm going to keep out. That's what I do. But my, my favorite uh, memento is I still have my Charlie Spink the Pun King pop right here. Oh, that is incredible. Uh, so this is only audio. People aren't going to see it, but it does... It does look like you. I saw a picture of that on your Facebook. Uh, where did you get that pop? So you can actually go to the Funko Pop headquarters score store in Hollywood and have some made. I was getting some for my kids, and the producer of the show was like, hey, that'd be a great promo item. Make a bunch that look like you. And oh. uh, so we had four of them. We auctioned them away for hundreds of thousands of pennies. Nice. For hundreds of thousands of percentage points off of a Bitcoin. Uh, no, we had four of them. Three of them were out in the world, and I still have this one left so I can remember what I look like in three to four inch form. Is it like Build-A-Bear? Like, do you pick out all the items and stuff, or does somebody else like look at you and go, okay, this is it? <laughs> oh, uh, we pick it out ourselves. So I could have been black. I could have had abs. There's so many ways I could have made this more desirable. But uh, I kept it honest. He's chubby. He has rough <laughs> facial hair. He is holding... A notebook in one hand and a microphone in the other, which I really do like. That's a good. Well, he can't take his notes down. on stage. No, he can't. Well, he doesn't know that. <laughs> I'm just kidding. He can do that. He's a pop. That is he, so rad. That's really cool. I like that a lot. Yeah, that's one of the reasons I know I've made it. And by it, I mean I made my own Funko Pop and then presented it to the world okay. like I'm a big time celebrity. Hey. Which is what it's all about. You know, fake it till you make it. It's yeah, that way. Some with fame, with orgasms, with famous orgasms. You always fake it until you make it, or fake it until they never have one. I don't know how that's <laughs> supposed to work, ladies. Either way, fake it. Either way, just keep on faking it. It's less embarrassing when you fake it. For all parties involved. Oh, yeah. That's very true. That's very true. So um, your, your, uh, your album... I can't even think anymore. Your album, your comedy album. That's what I was going to talk about. Mm -hmm. uh, do you have like a potential release date on that or anything? So we're still waiting for it. Uh, the production company has sold the special to Amazon Prime before. They've worked with Tubi. Uh, so the fate of my special is to be determined. Oh. We're still waiting to see who picks up on it. Okay. Uh, the original cut was a little over 40 minutes. We're going to slim it down to a real sexy 30 minutes. I have to do some ab workouts. It's going to cut carbs. It's going to be a good, hot, hot girl summer special. Just ready to hit 30 minutes, nice and clean. Sit it down, watch it, leave, remember it forever. And we're still even thinking about the title. The Pun King was what was presented to me. And uh, being a raging egomaniac, I thought, you know what? I like the sound of that. It's very royal. <laughs> uh, but I had lots of other options. I'm sure that you guys both know as comics that the title of your first comedy special when you're a comic is like your wedding dress when you're a little girl. You kind of always dream of the perfect one. <laughs> and over the years, I've loved the idea of spinking outside the box. Ooh. Uh, I spink, therefore I am. Uh, two spink minimum if it's a double album. Just oh. a lot of fun things with the name. 
a professional amateur comedian, so I could go by Pac, which would make me mathematically one half as gangster as Tupac. That's just math. Adds up. P-A-C, professional amateur comic. Uh, but yeah, The Pun King is what stuck. And so as it stands right now, The Pun King will be the album. Uh, it's led me to buy various crowns. Every time I go to Burger King, I just get an iced coffee, <laughs> but three crowns. And they think I'm a madman, but I'm not even upset. I don't know where they get in the whole mad thing. They're faking it. Yeah. Oh, that's a callback. <laughs> Wait, let me check my phone. Oh, I missed a call from back. That's a callback. <laughs> that's what that is. So where'd you guys come up with the idea for hypothetical comedy? Because I love that title. That way, if we're not funny, we can just be like, well, theoretically, <laughs> yes. this is hilarious. Basically, yeah. Just no. think about how funny it could be. Mm-hmm. So years ago, Athena had a, had a joke where she talks about her, her cheating boyfriend. Uh-oh. Hopefully that guy was not Funky Sam Medina. Well, the person in the joke was her boyfriend, and I was her boyfriend at the time. Oh, and and so uh snaps the the punchline was that it was with, with another guy you know and whoever, uh, whoever, whoever <laughs> I was we call with, a misdirection or a mr direction because it was oh, a guy i like that and then wherever i was whoever i was with like people would always go oh ha, ha, you know kind of rare asking me about it and mm-hmm. uh do you know birdman Yes, Jamie. I know. I know. I can, yeah, Jamie. <laughs> I can still hear him yelling across the room. That's why they call him Funky. <laughs> <laughs> and so, wherever uh, I ended up with you, telling that joke, no matter who I was next to, I always say, um, "This is a hypothetical situation. That's a hypothetical mm-hmm. situation." You know, whisper that to him, whatever. And one uh-huh. day, one day, we were at the San Jose Improv, and Athena was closing her set with that joke, and we had packed out the place. The place. A lot of people came to see us that specific show. And so I, I pulled the host aside because I was next. And I said, hey, forget everything for my intro. I just want you to say, this next comic wants to know that Athena's cheating boyfriend joke is a hypothetical situation. And, uh, <laughs> and it blew the roof off the place. That is really cute. Okay. And so when we, we took three and a half years off of comedy. And when we started coming back, we wanted to kind of have it like a, just a, like a troop, kind of like a team. And so well, we you have a brand name, with... something that you can come back to and just always gravitate towards. Yeah, I like that. So that was hypothetical comedy. So not just to turn the interview outside, but my wife always makes fun of me that I ship everybody, whether it's <laughs> people in a phone commercial that look at each other too long. I'm going to go, oh, they're a real life couple. It's going to happen. Do you work for They're going to make some T-Mobile babies on their network. That's what's going to go on. <laughs> So when you guys were comedians who started dating, did you see a lot of people kind of pushing you together because they want that perfect storybook? Hey, we know both of them. Or was there hateration? Was there haterade? What was the general consensus about you guys when you unified both comedically and romantically as one? It's different, though, because I became a comic already with her. Oh, okay. I was already with her when... when, uh, So we... We kind of we went we knew each other in middle school. So she was your gateway drug into comedy. Basically, yeah, yes. Yeah. We knew each other in middle school. <laughs> we reconnected on Facebook. And one of the things that she did was stand up comedy. And I was super interested in that because I wanted to do it. But I was mm-hmm. so scared. And so, you know, we started hanging out. I started going to the open mics with her a little bit. Um, and then we ended up being together. And that was July, two months before I went on stage for the first time. 
Okay, so she's been there through the thick. I would say the thin, but look at all three of us. The thin was a long ways away. <laughs> through the yeah. thick and the thicker. Thick. The thick and the thicker, yeah. Thick yeah. of the thick of it. Absolutely. Curvy comedy, that's my new brand. Oh, nice. That's good, actually. No, but that's that's really good. People always ask me, because I've been doing comedy, shoot, I guess from my first time on stage, it's been 25 years. Wow. I was 12 years old at a school talent show. And in 25 years, I haven't gained that much more talent. What about what about weight? <laughs> Wait, I've gained my own weight about six times over. Well-rounded um, comedy. Twelve-year-old so Charlie was very gangly, and then now I'm. What was it that inspired twelve-year-old so Charlie to enter uh, as a stand-up comedian? Great question. So I moved around a lot as a kid. Uh, I lived from birth to that 12 years old. I had was born in the Bay Area. Moved to New Jersey, Delaware, Pennsylvania, Tennessee, Texas, and then back to the Bay. Wow, you've been so, in more states uh, in 12 years than I was in my life. Whoo, and I've almost doubled that since. <laughs> Not a lot of travels. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I think that always being the new kid, you develop the defense mechanism that I want people to like me. I want to be funny. Uh, I like grabbing my crotch and humping the air, which I still do. It's a huge part of my act. Nice. Uh, but yeah, the school talent show came up. I was the only comic. In fact, I was the only person not singing a Whitney Houston song on that first time through. <laughs> so there were two girls that sang I Will Always Love You, which wasn't a new song, by the way. That had been out for a few years. I'm not that old. And then another girl sang Shoop, which was also, uh, maybe that was Salt and Pepper. Yeah. But yeah, I was the only, the only non-female I was the only non-African American, and I was the only person not singing. So I was the best comic of that group, hands down. <laughs> and I'll never forget the compliment I got coming off stage. It was 1997. I got off the stage, and I got a lot of laughs from the teachers and the principal and the vice principal. The students, not so much. But the vice principal came over, and he put his hand on my shoulder, and he said, You remind me of a young Ellen DeGeneres. <laughs> and this was maybe six months after she came out so all i knew about me and ellen is that we both had the same haircut and we were discovering pussy around the same time that's kind of all i knew to go on but that experience went well enough that i kind of dabbled the next two three years i'd do the school talent show i would host the school fundraisers i do little things like that and then towards the end of high school, I started releasing song parody albums on campus. Oh, wow. I wanted to be the next Weird Al, but it took me years to realize that I can't sing. Oh. So that got in the way of me, because Weird Al has a great voice. He can actually do it. I'm wearing a Hawaiian shirt. I'm halfway there. But he yeah. is the master, yes. and I will never be the true apprentice. But yeah, towards the end of high school, I started doing coffee shop open mics, local stuff, oh. and then... Went off to uh, college in Southern California and had a humor column on campus. And people would very politely laugh. Spinking outside the box was the humor column. Yes. I was voted the best college columnist in Southern California twice. And then newspapers died. Oh, oh. They're gone. They don't exist. <laughs> so I felt like that was all me. My job before that, I was a chimney sweep. Just any job I take just Wait, ruins the chimney still exist? <laughs> no, chimneys and chimney sweeps don't exist. Damn it. 
Wow. Uh, but yeah, their humor column kind of got me back into comedy mode, and I started going out and almost only doing competitions. So I just looked for these competitions, and there'd be 30, 40 comics, and I just practiced my five minutes. And eventually, I got to open for Bob Saget because I didn't win a competition. I came in third place out of 80 people, and the first two people were not considered Bob Saget audience friendly. Oh, dang. Wow. So my demographic, <laughs> white guy that doesn't use the N-word on stage, definitely helped me out get those gigs. <laughs> wow. And that led to me opening for Sinbad, Tommy Davidson, Eddie Griffin. Uh, I have an interesting niche. I've actually opened for Comedy Legends Brothers. So Tony Rock. <laughs> Tony Rock. Yeah, I was going to say Tony Rock. Rock's brother. <laughs> Tony Been Rock there. is so funny, though. Oh, he's... He's like the Kelly Rowland of comedy. He would be great if his brother wasn't Beyonce. Like people <laughs> just look at him as being this sexy songbird, you know, this urban goddess. But his brother is Chris Rock, who I have a painting of on my wall right there. Wow. Oh, those are dope. Those are super dope. Wait, is that Mitch at the bottom? Yep. So I got Mitch right here. I got uh, a young man named Richard Pryor, you might have heard of, mm -hmm. right there. A nice little beard. Uh, Jerry Seinfeld, one of the godfathers of the wordplay, is up there. A gentleman in the middle who, for his parental reasons, we won't discuss. Uh, <laughs> Woodrow Allen, amazing comedy writer. Charlie Chaplin, one of my all-time favorite Charlies. I'm biased, but he's on the wall. <laughs> Stephen Wright, I mean, one of the great punsmiths of his day. I think he kind of godfathered the Mitch style. I don't think. Yeah, I think so. That Mitch would exist in all of his glory without somebody like Stephen Wright bringing the deadpan, brilliant wordplay to the market. The, the brilliant one-liner deadpan, yeah. yeah. Yeah, and then uh, bottom corner for swag alone, Eddie Murphy. Hell you can't yeah. have modern stand-up comedy without Eddie Murphy, the Elvis Presley of comedy, if you ask me. There's the guy just went up there in the leather onesies, rocking stadiums with so much confidence that he hasn't had to do it for 35 years. He hasn't been on stage in almost four decades, and we still all praise him. And that's mm -hmm. as good as it gets. Those, and then, those, of course, those are really awesome. Then me in the middle, right there. Oh, dang. I have the I have the Whoopi Goldberg square on the Hollywood squares. <laughs> well, you deserve it in your own place. Well, that's not even it. So I like that it's there, but I paid a young lady. I commissioned all of these. Oh, nice. And she made one of me for my birthday. So oh. for anybody who thinks Charlie paid to have a painting of himself put up on the wall, I didn't. No, just directly. Funko Pops. Yeah, <laughs> just Funko Pops. <laughs> I have my limits, okay? <laughs> I'm not going to say that I have a tattoo of myself on my own ass. But but I'm not going to not say that I don't. <laughs> but do you have a tattoo of yourself anywhere? Uh, you'll have to give me a couple of drinks and find out. Oh, <laughs> those those paintings are super rad. Mm -hmm. uh, those are awesome. Do you want to like shout out the artist or anything? Oh yeah, her name is uh, Jesse Anjou or Jesse Anjuli Smith. Uh, but I think she got divorced. I don't know if the Smith is still in there. But she's from Oregon. She's fantastic. You can find her on Facebook and Instagram. Jesse Arts. I should look that up and maybe put in the comments, but. She did a great job. Uh, I ordered a couple more. Uh, hopefully, I'll be getting a Rodney Dangerfield and a Dave Chappelle. Those were wow. ones I won in there. That's super cool. That is. Although, it'll mess up the whole tic-tac-toe feel. I'll have to 
<laughs> maybe yeah it will I'll have mess to check up out woody know. allen because bill cosby was on my original list i'm like <laughs> <I'm not> so- <laughs> <laughs> because he's around the corner but the camera can't see him <laughs> well i keep bill cosby by the coffee machine oh nice oh dang to keep people awake because <laughs> that's oh. what he he's a barista or something i barely followed the story <laughs> terrible terrible no completely true the first comedy show i took my wife to that wasn't like a local comedy show uh, it was Valentine's Day that we've been together two years, and I took her to see Bill Cosby at the Fox Theater. Wow, well, that must have been. And really we've been together. My wife and I have been together uh, fifteen years and some change. And so this was early on, and even early on, like Bill Cosby is an old guy, and the whole charges hadn't reemerged yet. So nothing more romantic than taking your wife to see Bill Cosby on Valentine's Day. That decision has not aged particularly well. <laughs> yeah, well, that was but he was like seventy night, and did two hours of comedy. Was wow. it good? Did you enjoy it? I would say eighty percent of it was really good, and twenty percent of it was an old ass man forgetting what he was talking about. <laughs> and it went against the principles of stand up comedy because he just had a chair and he's there in a lazy boy <laughs> on stage. A lazy boy? What? No. Like, like when you say a chair, I just think of oh, like he reclined. There was some reclining. The feet went up. As the jokes were going down, the feet went up. Oh, man. I was thinking like sounds... a bar chair or something, but with a really lazy... <laughs> no, I mean that we have in the Comedy Commandments, you know, we have a stool that needs to be on stage. Mostly because all of us, I'm sure Athena feels this way too, we have to hump the stool. At some point in our act, there's a stool, Absolutely. we hump it. It's yeah. just what we do as comedians. It's our yeah, nature. nature. There you exactly. Go. <laughs> I, did this, I did this show a couple of days ago and there was a stool. It was a different kind of stool. It was metal, but it was like lightweight metal. And I put my leg on the little bottom oh. railing of it, and the whole thing just collapsed. Oof. And that might have not audience... have been a real stool. That might have been a stool sample. <laughs> and then I told the audience, uh, if you guys don't laugh, that's what I'm going to do to you. <laughs> and, and then one person left. Yeah. Well, then you could say you crushed. Yeah. It was great. It was fun. I can say in all my years, I've never had a stool give way underneath me. It didn't. Hey, it didn't break. It just the like, night is young. Fell over. It was like but, so lightweight. It was like a very lightweight metal, so he could just like tap kick it, and it would have went. Yeah, and no, fell just over. Folding down. <laughs> folding chairs. They're in since that big yacht fight. Folding chairs. They're just. <laughs> it's a popular thing. That was a good. Hey, I have one. Right here. Oh, dang. I got, yeah, I got a few of those two in the garage. I was thinking about auctioning them off on eBay and saying they're the, from the place. Yeah, well, mine was for my niece's baptism. We just have a bunch of extra chairs in here. But 30 oh. to 40 family members, some drinks and folding chairs, it could have gone down. It really could have. Could have. Some baptized chairs might be worth more money. Oh, they are. Just We throw the holy water <laughs> on there, sit down, get moist. It's a good time. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. Why are these wet? <laughs> hey, because so- we just took them to see Thunder Down Under, ladies. That's how they get it. <laughs> They'll make your blooming onion bloom, am I right? <laughs> oh my. Ew. <laughs> so you- brings up a good question. I was just gonna ask you guys. Yeah, Somebody asked me this other day, and I love it. Strangest place you've done stand-up. Oh, dang. Strangest place. I mean, is the, the internet count? No. I guess the internet does. It's a pretty strange place. Depends on the site. If you're on OnlyFans, maybe. Mm, I see. 
Uh, what's the strangest place you've done comedy? Dang. There were so many, though. Like, <laughs> or, oh my gosh, there's been so many. Like, for example? I guess that wouldn't count. I can't think of anything strange, like super crazy. We've done them in backyards. We've done them in, like... Oh, here we go. Rasputin Records. Ah, that was a good Oh, one. very cool. In San Francisco or which No, one? it was in San Jose. And Berkeley? again, Birdman, it was his show like 10 years ago. That actually sounds like a super cool place. I mean, I love records. You can see on the wall, I got Mike Carlin. I got some Phyllis Diller, Rodney. You can't see the Eddie back there, but love vinyl. I don't have an operating uh, record player right now. So my love for vinyl is hypothetical. Oh, nice. Tied it all in. And so, yeah, somebody of, asked uh, me the other day what yeah. the f- most interesting place I've done stand up is. And I couldn't think of anything until I left. And then I felt like, oh, all these other places. But <laughs> right. Once you once you walk away, you think of like 10. Once all like, yeah. But uh, <laughs> I was working with a company called Bay Area Roasters, which sounds like it should be a coffee company, but they would do private roast for people. And this was maybe 2014, 2015. Uh, they'd hire a few comedians like Paul Conyers and myself did a few of them together. You know, Paul, oh, yeah. very funny guy. Uh, winner of the World Series of Comedy, I think two years ago. But me and Paul were on a show for a retiring chief of police. I think this was the uh, chief of police in Emeryville. And I decided to do my entire roast in a Colin Kaepernick jersey while kneeling down. And the entire audience was just all police and retired police. And it did surprisingly well. I thought they were going to beat me, and it didn't happen. Oh, man. (laughs) Holy wow. Interesting. A close second was the Crazy Horse in San Francisco, the strip club. Oh, they used to have a show run by Detox. You guys remember Detox? Yeah, uh, I think it's still comedy. Yeah, yeah. And so we used to do the. It was a bi-monthly showcase. It was the half the crowd was just strippers on their break, <laughs> which was great. Because <laughs> they laugh and they have no soul, so they're just laughing and crying and. This is great range of emotion. Uh, but I'll never forget, we were doing the show upstairs and they stopped our show. They had a forced intermission because I may have told Sam this story before. Uh, there was a young lady who was the Guinness Book of World Records holder for longest projectile squirting in the world. Oh, oh dang. And now you guys are wondering, 12 foot, six inches. That was the distance. So wow. she was there. And she had about a half full house downstairs and she refused to go on unless that place was packed. So they put our show, which was upstairs on intermission. We all meandered down the stairs and we had to be seat fillers to watch her do her thing. Oh my gosh. And I'll never forget. She had a roadie, which was the guy who had a towel and a tape measure. (laughs) His job, you know, he has two tools of his trade. That's a towel and a tape measure. He took the tape measure. He measured out 12 and a half feet, unfolded his towel. And we all sat there in the splash zone and wow. just awaited her pursuit of matching her world record. And she they, missed the towel entirely. She was uh, at least a foot short. Uh, do they give you like a plastic like Gallagher's shows? No, I really wish they would have given us some kind of commemorative poncho. 
Yeah, something to cover with. <laughs> I would have been all about that. Just little tiny umbrellas. Uh, oh, no. that have been perfect. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> she get one drop on there, and then she could sign it. You know, with her no. the umbrella says, "I got squirted on." <laughs> yeah, exactly. In very tiny font. But I would say that was probably the strangest comedy show, just because of the squirt contest. And then we had to go back upstairs and tell our jokes, like nothing strange had just happened. So wait a minute. So. It was just one and done, like one shot, and she missed it, and then it was over? Or did she try a couple of times? I want to say she did, like, we could call it a five-minute set. <laughs> I don't know <laughs> how you classify the lead-up. But there was a song she played, which was Get Off by Prince. Very appropriate. Of course. And because that was her whole show, is she was getting off. And, yeah, I think that she just tried once. She failed. Nobody asked for their money back because they're pervs and they're embarrassed. Nobody's <laughs> like, I want to see 12 and a half feet worth of squirt. She gave me 10. <laughs> Boo. Bam. I want to see a free throw line's worth of squirt. <laughs> I thought we were part of history right here. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so that's got to take the cake for being the number one. Yeah, I would say so. That's crazy. Did the audience upstairs just wait for you guys? No, they, they forced us to oh, all come down. Oh, the audience came down. Yes. They made everybody come down because oh, they wanted a full house. Wow. Nice. So that, that audience got two squirts the price of one. They did. Well, that really made the rest of us have to try even harder in our set. Because I think I was the next comic to go up right after the squirt. No. And, oh, yeah, God. I can't even shoot. I mean, not to brag, ladies, I am also a squirter. But uh, nowhere near as impressive. I can't imagine collectively trying to watch this person do that thing and then have to go up and run up other people and go, Hey guys, yeah. <laughs> like it didn't happen. Anything What's the deal with dating? Am I right? <laughs> Any interesting thing happened lately? Yeah. yeah. So in the news, <laughs> I was at the store the other day. <laughs> yeah. What's the deal with all of that stuff? Chances I like right. towels. Yeah. I know people are all wiping their faces yeah. off. <laughs> it was pretty nuts. I guess I also oh did stand God. up in a city hall chambers once. Oh wow! Whoa. It's a private show in was it Oakley? And I bombed. It was actually a really bad set. I got paid pretty well. I opened for somebody else. It was in Oakley, Oakley, California. So not too far from here, having mm. the East Bay, and. uh it was a really good payday. I was excited. I'm thinking, I'm going to open, be a little raunchy. There's a bunch of, you know, city hall members and officers of the law. They can handle an adult joke. They could not. <laughs> they could not at all. And it was one of those times where I left to no applause. Wow. And uh, I snuck out the fire exit. Because you guys know, when you have a good set, you hang around by the door. It's for, for people to say, you're our favorite. We love you. Pictures. But no, I... <laughs> I did not want anybody to see me again. I want them to assume I died. <laughs> <laughs> that you were just a ghost yeah, exactly. <laughs> briefly there. <Ooh. laughs> you vaporized after. <laughs> <laughs> that would be funny. But he was like, what do you mean my feature? I didn't have a feature. I did, what? <laughs> You're smoking <laughs> something. Or, 
what was also fun is I did the Stanislaw County Fair many moons ago. Wow. That would be interesting. And it was great. I think that Sugar Ray was the headliner. So every morning, like they had some hits, <laughs> but we didn't open for them directly. The comedy show was like three hours before them. Oh. So we were telling jokes at maybe 3.30 in the afternoon. It was 110 degrees. Oh. And there was a concrete slab with aluminum chairs. Wow. That we were standing in front of. Nobody was sitting on those. We were sitting in front of hundreds of empty chairs. But there was a grassy knoll, you know, like JFK murder style. There's a grassy knoll with literally a thousand people. It was a really great audience, but they were hundreds of feet away on the other side of a concrete slab. So wow. it felt like shouting jokes across a crowded intersection. <laughs> wow. I'm sure they were laughing, but they weren't mic'd, so you wouldn't know. Yeah. I mean, everybody else was just dying up there, but I had pretty good vision. So like I saw some smiles, <laughs> <laughs> laughter rolling down those rolling hills. <laughs> so it's probably my favorite odd places to play. Wow. Those are some crazy halls, strip clubs, county fairs. The big time. Hell yeah. Yeah. No, that that pretty much is the big time. <laughs> and you said you've opened up for some big people like Bob Saget and Sinbad and all these people. Do you have any fun stories from doing those shows? Mm-hmm. Uh, well, my favorite, I've told this one before, but my favorite is Bob Saget actually gave me a very strong backhanded, backhanded compliment when he saw me perform. Ooh. So when you open for people, they're in their green room or they're in the limo. They never really watch. Uh, Bob Sag was just sitting backstage in like a folding chair watching me and the other two local openers. And back then I was doing a lot of kind of urban stuff. Like I'm a white guy and I have black friends. Like that was kind of my whole aura. And then I'd go into like the silly zany over the top pun stuff that I kind of focus more on now. And I had a good set. I remember getting off the stage and Danny Tanner from full house comes up to me and goes, you know, your material's really good. But there's two people you can be on stage, yourself or somebody else. But if you're the same person the whole time, people are going to like you more. And then he patted me on the head and he walked out on stage. And I thought, I'm pretty sure Danny Tanner just dissed me. (laughs) Wow. Well, he didn't hug you. Yeah, I think my favorite TV dad (laughs) of all time just called me not funny. (laughs) But then I saw him do an hour of just great, completely X-rated comedy, stuff about raping dogs and, you know, fingering his guitar from behind, just all this crazy, crazy zany stuff. And we had a good talk after the show, and he hung out. We had a good time. So of all those big names, he was the one that really gave me the time of day and some words of mild encouragement. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And was he, so is he saying that, like, when you're doing like uh, the weird, the the zany uh, uh, white guy stuff that you weren't being yourself, but then maybe the pun things, he felt like you were more being yourself. I think he just wanted more of a streamlined experience. He was like, you were good at this thing and not good at that thing. Mm-hmm. So focus on this and not so much on that. Wow. Oh, another fun one was I did a guest set on a show that Ralphie May, rest in peace, that Ralphie oh, wow. May had on. And Ralphie also white guy who had a lot of really urban stuff and he saw me perform and he gave me the biggest sweatiest hug in the history of stand-up <laughs> he was wearing all leather he 
was the size of a cow and was wearing all leather. It was a very strange choice. But he said, man, you got some flavor. And then he gave me a big hug, which was a big compliment because I loved Ralphie. But he's also just a huge human and mentioning that I had flavor. So I thought he might eat me. There was a very good chance I was in a Hansel and Gretel situation. Uh, but I live to tell the tale. I love that his compliment is food related. Yeah, it really was. I think he meant flavor with like the A and the apostrophe. I don't know if he meant that I was well seasoned because I'm very bland. Oh, for, okay. for being honest. He must have meant like, flavor flavor. Yeah, he didn't say flavor flavor. <laughs> Like, man, you are gamey. You are man, very you are, gamey. You are, you are <laughs> cooked to perfection. <laughs> Thinking he's he's gonna bite me now. That's what's gonna happen. <laughs> the guy who came in third place on season five of Last Comic Standing is gonna bite me. Dang. It might have been earlier. I, don't know. I know he did well on the show. He didn't win, but no, yeah, he, he was, did, but he was, he was number hard. one in our hearts. Oh yeah, yeah, he was, and in Absolutely. BMI, he was yeah. number one in that. He's a big fella. So you were talking about uh, coming into high school and doing some open mics and, and whatever, and then you did a column. When did you start taking comedy more serious? I think I got scared into doing comedy again when I became a father. So my oldest son, Xavier, who went to high school orientation today. Oh, wow. Is now, he's a grown-ass little man. <laughs> And I remember I had taken a hiatus from comedy around the time he was born. And I never stopped writing. My goal is I always write three jokes a day, minimum. So that's a thousand jokes a year. Even if most of them suck, you can say, hey, I wrote a thousand jokes this year. Some of them are bound to be good. But when my son was born, I started thinking, I want to do something that would make him proud. And getting back on stage was a big part of that. And by the time his younger brother rolled along, I realized when you have kids... You don't need to write great material. Just write down what they say. And that's going to really help you out. So I wanted to have eight or nine kids because that way I'd have like five or six specials by now. Yeah. All the material in the world. Yeah. But my wife, she's like, oh, it hurts to have babies or whatever. <laughs> I don't listen when she talks. Um, but yeah, I think that I, I realized I still appreciate the creative outlet. And I want to give my kids something to be proud of on stage. And so I thought yelling filth, um, humping the stage and coming up with disgusting dick jokes was the way to go. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Can't go wrong. They say you can't. can't So that's in my will. It's like when I die, they get all of my dick jokes. (laughs) Make sure to put jokes at the end of that. Make sure. Tried to donate that to science, and science is like, no thanks. We're good. We, we have can enough. do Thank better. You. Yeah. Are you still writing three jokes a day to this day? Oh, I try to write more than that. Uh, I think my most productive year, I wrote about four thousand jokes. Wow. So how do you? What do you do? What do you? You just sit down for a certain amount of time. We saw your binder, man. We saw your. Oh yes, yeah, I, I, I like one of them here. So I'm really nerdy about it. Uh, this is the current notebook I've been writing in for about a month and a half. So what I do is I write a table of contents in advance of every notebook. I number all the pages and I write in multiple colored inks. So there's certain colors that I hold for punchlines, certain colors that I hold for a title. Uh, if there's a big act out, I'll usually write that in green because green is for money and 
you know, a big act out. That's where the money's at. That's what the people love on stage. Wow. Uh, but yeah, I try to fill at least one notebook a month throughout the year. Wow. And my day job is pretty demanding. So that's how I stay sane. I work 12 to 14 hour shifts most days, six days a week. So the way that I'm able to focus on something that brings me joy and happiness is by having, you know, these little things lying around. Okay. Yeah. How do you get inspired though to write so many jokes? Like, is it things that happen that you yeah, you kind of write down throughout the day, or you're like, I'm gonna sit down and write six jokes about apples? Oof. Well, see, the the apple jokes, I think those would, wouldn't fall far from the tree. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, I'd have some good apple jokes about Steve Jobs. Um, I would say I text myself bullet points throughout the day. So when I'm working okay. construction. And people be like, we need to break this street. We need to use a jackhammer. And I'm like, wait a minute. So the Martian's dick was like this. <laughs> so yeah, my process is I text myself bullet points throughout the day. And then when I do get to sit down, I flesh out the bullet points. So mm. on a good day, I'll have eight or nine bullet points. And three of those may be solid. And when I get home and the kids are asleep and my wife is sick of listening to me, I come downstairs, I sit at my desk in front of my comedy idols, including myself. And just flesh everything out. And sometimes there's comedy gold. Yeah. Hell yeah. Other times there's comedy silver or copper. And I'm like, you can still trade those in for something. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I'm that's not a precious bad. metals guy. How did you come up with the concept of what you have as your big notebook and your big, uh, just your, your glossary, I guess. I don't know. Well, I got more organized as I got older. So I think I realized you can't force yourself to be funnier, but you can force yourself to be more organized. Okay. Mm. And that was it. I realized I love the writing process, but my memorization skills started to go a little bit in my early 30s. So I wanted to trick myself into remembering the jokes. So that's where the different colored pens came in. Uh, I kind of created the system of... I text myself a bullet point and then I handwrite the joke. And if I like the joke, I type it out. So I have three different ways of memorizing my own material. Because when you write that often, you can get on stage and say, even if you have a set list, go, I want to talk about this thing. And you go, Q-tips, what the fuck was I going to say about Q-tips? (laughs) (laughs) Or I remember I had a one-liner a few years ago. It was about paper clips. I just said something like, uh, Paper clips are staples with commitment issues, which I thought was like a cute little one-liner. And I decided to open with it at a show. And you never open with a new joke. But I remember saying like, paper clips are crazy. <laughs> I just couldn't remember what the joke <laughs> And when you swing and miss on your first line, you're never going to get the crowd back. And it was yeah, I, I was doing a 20-minute feature for somebody and it was 19 minutes and 55 seconds of pure agony oh. after that point. That's when you go, thank you. My name is Charlie Spink and I, yeah, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Just say you're somebody else. I've, I've been Zach Galifianakis. Good night. Yeah. Right. Don't even say your name. <laughs> Actually, that made me so happy. I went to the optometrist the other day and I mentioned that I do stand up. and he says, Oh, you look like a comic. So I'm waiting for him to say like Jonah Hill or Galifianakis. And he goes, you look like Nate Bergazi. And I was so complimented that he chose somebody less fat. It's not that he's a funnier guy or a great storyteller. I just go, yeah, all right. 
Oh. He's not as fat as the other guys I expected, so that <laughs> I made my looking, whole week. I was waiting for Ellen. Yeah. <laughs> older <back>. Ellen. <laughs> he looked like an older, less masculine Ellen. <laughs> you look like Ellen now. <laughs> like Ellen. Well, it's great, too, is like Ellen didn't dance in her act back then. You know, and the guy said I remind her of Ellen. Now, Ellen and I have the exact same intro. We dance around for like five minutes. So I don't know if I stole that from her. She stole that from me. But uh, Ellen and I have grown closer together over the years. You have any projects or anything coming up that you're working on? Uh, I'm just waiting for the special to get edited. And then I'm going to plug the hell out of it. Other than that, yeah, just this one was a half an hour and I'm working on the hour. I want my hour to be much more uh, family oriented not in being clean material, but just being dirty, disgusting, filthy jokes about my family. Ah. Oh, that makes sense. Because I feel like in the half an hour, when you call yourself the pun king, it should be one-liners, puns, stuff that hits really hard, really quick. And I want to establish myself as a more long-winded, boring comedian. When you get to a certain age, and for me at age is 38, uh, I'm a big fan of Mike Birbiglia. Do you guys know Mike Birbiglia? Absolutely. Great comic. So brilliant but he got to a point where he said you know what it's not comedy anymore it's a one-man show hell yeah which is your way of saying look i don't want to be funny all the time that's exhausting i want to be engaging most of the time and funny part of the time so i think i'm gonna kind of lean hard into that i want to try to get my hour done early next year and just get out and do more comedy around the country uh I headline Las Vegas, you know, pretty much every other month. There's a couple of clubs I go to do down there. That's awesome. And I love going there. I love Glendale, Phoenix, Arizona, Gilbert. I do a bunch of shows there. They're fun because they feel like the South and you're not really in the South. Oh, that, that feels safe. <laughs> it is so far the opposite. So I was doing JP's Comedy Club, which I probably shouldn't name because it's not a good story. But I was doing JP's Comedy Club in Gilbert, Arizona. JP, great guy, fun club. But I was telling some gay jokes because when you're from the San Francisco Bay Area, according to the country, they want gay jokes. That's like something that's expected. And I felt like I was killing with them too hard. (laughs) I could actively feel homophobia on stage in the laughs. You know, I heard. (laughs) And as comics, we're people pleasers. We want the laugh no matter what. But I felt really dirty. I remember doing, I did two shows there. It was a feature. I was doing a guest at one and a feature in the other. And I got like a partial standing ovation when I left the stage. And the whole time I'm thinking, man, these people really hate the gays. Oh, <laughs> I couldn't wow. bask in celebrating. I was just going, man, they took those jokes the wrong way. But I am not strong enough in my morals to correct them. I will take the laughter and the applause Literally some guy on my way out said, you really stuck it to them queers. <laughs> wow. You're like, I'm not here thinking, to roast, sir. I'm not here to roast. <laughs> yeah, that was, I mean, it's all like pun-based stuff. And none of it was taking a strong stance on anything. <laughs> and plus, they like having stuff stuck to them. Like, that's their thing. If you're not going to stick it to the queers, like, they enjoy that. They like the whole rear entry thing. So I just didn't appreciate uh, that gentleman's critique. Yeah, that makes sense. But I've heard that. I've heard where, like, uh, comedians will be telling, like, I I would say a little bit fun-hearted jokes, but then the audience will laugh 
and they'll know that they're laughing in a way that they didn't want them or intend them to laugh. And they're like, knock it off. Like, it's such a bizarre feeling for a comedian to go, ew, I don't like the way you laughed. <laughs> yeah. My whole purpose in life is to make you people laugh. Exactly. Can you cut it out. I don't like the way you're laughing right now. <laughs> Your laughter is interrupting my jokes and I'm not a fan. <laughs> you cut that out. I would just be really happy. I have a joke where it's like, a, I look like joke. And mm-hmm. people laugh at the setup, right? And they're not, I mean, whatever. Okay, they can. But one time I was doing this show and um, I said the setup and then I go, wow, somebody at the bar laughed way too hard at that. <laughs> that just felt attacked by their laughter. Attacked. Well, I feel the same way. I have a joke where, you know, it's a celebrity lookalike joke. It's a doppelganger joke. And in the setup, I'm talking about how this drunk lady said that I looked like Justin Timberlake. And then there's like this long digression that you look like Justin Timberlake if he was stung by bees, which is what she actually <laughs> said. But I will say that as the drunk girl voice, you look like Justin Timberlake. And sometimes people laugh too hard at that, which hurts my feelings. <laughs> or even more so, somebody yell out, she was blind. Like, I'll get an internal heckle in the setup. But I feel like those are the most fun jokes to tell. When you can get heckled in the setup before you even approach the punchline. You're just you're kind of in that long driveway, you know, up to the millionaire party of that that punchline of that joke and you're still smack in the middle of that driveway and people are screaming and heckling you. That's a powerful feeling. That's how you know you're doing something right or somebody's going to throw something at me on stage, oh which God. has happened. <laughs> What got thrown at you? A drink, a glass, a chair? A Ooh, the chair The chair a would human. have been fun. <laughs> it was, for context, it was 2005, and Dave Chappelle had just left his show. That was a big story. If you guys remember, Dave Chappelle left Chappelle's show, and he moved to Africa to get treatment for, I don't know if it was just mental health issues or drug and alcohol, but he needed some time off. Totally get it. And I was opening a show in Berkeley at the Black Repertory Theater, which is like an all-black lineup. And I bounced this joke off, guys, and they thought it was funny. I did the joke that night. It was fine. I did the following night at the Starry Plow in Berkeley. I don't know if you guys have been to the Starry Plow. It's pretty close to university. And again, mostly black room. The host was black. And I opened by going up to the only Caucasian member of the audience and saying, all right, just between you and me, brother man, isn't it a shame that the one black guy that we don't want to move back to Africa actually does it? <laughs> and wow. I have never heard such silence, even in the deepest of libraries in the world. So there's no booing. It was just silence. But uh, three or four tables back, somebody grabbed a glass bottle of Heinz 57 ketchup and flung it towards me. And I had, you know, this Keanu moment, this Neo in the Matrix moment of 57 delicious ingredients in one bottle, kind of swooshing right by my face. Oh, very slowly, my gosh. Kind of brushing against the hairs of my chinny chin chin. And it shattered on the wall behind me. It was thrown hard enough to where it went to the curtain and still went against the brick wall, smashed. Made a little bit of a mess. And I left the stage. It's the only time I've ever left the stage. 
I felt a little afraid. You know what's ironic but, is if it would have hit you, you would not know if you're bleeding or not. I would. Well, that's even better is that I felt such relief knowing that in the days of vaudeville and the olden times, you throw a tomato on stage at somebody. <laughs> you're right. And somebody threw a ketchup bottle, which is just <laughs> dozens of delicious tomatoes all coming together to aerodynamically tell me I suck. What? So I felt this amazing connection to the comedians of yesteryear in oh, that moment of ketchup-related violence. Modern day, uh, yeah, modern day. Yeah, Tomato. well, I was just really glad it wasn't an anti-Dominican uh, joke or anti-Cubano joke, because those guys play baseball. They would have hit me. <laughs> it was thrown a good pitch, you know. It was a black joke, so if they maybe tried, like, a three-point shot of the bottle, they would have nailed me. But trying to throw that, there weren't a lot of black quarterbacks back then, so they missed uh, pretty heavily. Nice. Damn. But yeah, that's luckily, the, luckily for you. Luckily for me. And then I've had a guy rush the stage. Oh, man. For a very silly joke. Uh, it's actually, it's one of my favorites. It's a little connector piece that I just kind of do between jokes. Uh, where I'll go, LOL, OMG, HIV, any letters you can just say on stage. I'll say, HIV gets a giggle in wherever I am. But that kills in Africa. That's the joke. Dang. And so I tell that, and this guy yells out, hey, man, my dad died of AIDS. And thinking on my toes, I said, well, he should have been gay in the 80s, <laughs> which is legitimately an amazing comeback. And I was so <laughs> proud of that. But then the guy tried to leap on stage and, like, tackle me. Oh, my God. And luckily, he had had a few drinks, and he didn't take a good angle on the stage. So he kind of missed me entirely and just <laughs> jumped on the corner of the stage and fell off immediately. Oh, my God, no. <laughs> wow. So did he charge the stage? He tried. He tried. It wasn't like a full charge. He, like, ATM debited the stage. It wasn't a charge, but he tried to swipe. It didn't work. It didn't go through. <laughs> His violence got declined is what happened. I had, it, I've only had one funds. experience like that where uh, somebody like came up on the stage while I was like doing my set and mm -hmm. it wasn't uh, angry getting up on the stage. It was very awkward. It was this drunk guy. It was a drunk guy and he just. So was out of love? Up. They just wanted to give you a hug and say that? No, no. Great. He stood next to me and dropped his pants. Oh, wow. And I'm still doing my set, well, and nobody is coming up to the stage going, hey, man, don't do that. Well, like, where was Sam? Like, Sam, so he, come on. Where so are he, you? He came up. He came up, and he was, like, kind of acting out what she was saying it at was first. It was so weird. He and was, was acting out my super set. weird. He, he was acting it out. And then he started, like, just kind of dancing a little bit. And then his, he was wearing these shorts, and he probably should have had a belt on it, and maybe he didn't. And they just slid down. And then oh. at that point, the guy who was hosting the show grabbed him and pulled him away, and he got he got okay. kicked out of the bar. He it was actually so weird. Literally kicked him out of the bar, and, and uh, he was banned from the bar. I think. Oh. Well, the best way to handle that as a comic is to grab his penis and just yell, "Is this thing on?" Like that's oh, yeah. Because really <laughs> if he's flopping, it's obviously not on. No, it's it a pretty was, I mean, easy visual. His short slid down to he he saw his boxers on. Mm -hmm. oh, okay, so it was he wasn't fully exposed, but yeah, that's that's pretty freaky. No, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I would say I got banned for life from a show 
Oh, damn. Uh, which was literally the closest show to my house. I could oh, walk. The one show I could walk that you there. get banned from. <laughs> yeah. So geographically, the worst show to get banned from. But for people who know, I live in Concord. And there's a place called Vinny's. It's a really nice okay. yeah, yeah. bar, pool hall. And during the pandemic, especially, they have a nice-ass stage now. They have a really cool lighting. Yeah. The so local yes. bands play there. They have great karaoke, uh, monthly comedy. It's a great show. Uh, but the lady who used to run it, I won't mention her by name, but I was doing the show. And you can see Planned Parenthood from the front door. It's Kitty Corner. Oh, wow. The and really so I had an abortion joke. It was just very silly. It's, it's wordplay. And the punchline was something like a miscarriage. What about a Mr. Carriage? And I kind of talk about what things would be like if a guy had a miscarriage. And it did really well. I'm getting a great ovation. I go and sit at my seat. People are still clapping and laughing. I had one of my best sets in a long time. And the lady comes over to the booth and says, I never want to see you in here again. And I thought she was kidding because I'm thinking, I did really well. I got laughs, applause. This is my job. And so I thought she was fucking with me until the host, Mean Dave. You guys know Mean Dave. You know, yeah, Bay yeah, Area staple. Mm-hmm. He comes over five minutes later and goes, yeah, no, she really wants you to leave. Wow. Oh, wow. She said that you are banned for life. But uh, fun ending to that story, she died about two years ago. And now I perform at Vinny's again. So I was banned for her life. <laughs> oh, dang. Wow. A lifetime ban only lasts as long as the life of the person banning you. So Yeah, because once she's gone, there's nobody to enforce it. Yeah, there's there's no ghost. They're like, you're a hack. Don't go <laughs> That would suck so bad if you were haunted by a ghost thinking they didn't like your comedy. Oh, that would uh, suck. Have, <laughs> oh yeah, because they'd be at every show. Yeah, they just heckle you at every <laughs> they have, show. They have so much free time. <laughs> you suck. <laughs> Get off the stage. <laughs> like, you have unfinished business. You have unfinished material. Damn, that would be like so sad to get roasted by a ghost. That would be sad. That would be sad. Ghost roasted. Now, I didn't know what the ghost whole roast. Ghosted. Oh, the ghost it's roast. It's a ghost roast. Hell yeah. Where comics yeah. dress up as passed away comedians and roast you. Oh. That actually sounds like an amazing show idea. That does sound like an amazing show idea. That's amazing. That people dress up, get a Richard Pryor, Rodney Dangerfield, Joan Rivers. Yeah, all the people behind you. Yeah, I feel like except somebody for, dressing up. Charlie. Except for Charlie. He's still with us. He's still Although I think I'm the most pale person. They, <laughs> they drew me as pale. I'm more pale than Chaplin, which is sad because he's wearing my makeup. And this is just my natural skin tone. And this still made me significantly whiter than a guy in full mind makeup. <laughs> Hell yeah. Hey, so we do a thing where we uh, ask people to manifest a couple things. What are some things in comedy that you would like to accomplish in the in the next year or two? Uh, well, I'll give it a four-year plan because I like the idea of a five-year plan, but I'm also impatient. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> I would like to perform stand-up in all 50 states. How many have you done so far? Ooh, uh, probably between 10 and 12. Okay. okay. So I've been, I've been getting there, I guess, in the last couple of years – Maryland, D.C. is not really a staple. Say so D.C. 
uh, Texas, Arizona, Nevada, Oregon, California, obviously. Done New Jersey, New York a long time ago. That's nine. Uh, I've done, it was just a couple of mics in Pennsylvania. So there's 10 and I'm sure I'm leaving one out, but I know I've done at least 10 States. That's rad. Nice. And I think we've only done three. Yeah. <laughs> so you guys have done California, Nevada, Arizona, California, Nevada, Hawaii. Oh, you guys, your sets were on fire. Oh, <laughs> Not dang. then. I wasn't, oh, uh, we, we, well, you guys we were burning it up. Our, our, it was cause it was so hot. Our, we took our honeymoon um, in Honolulu, and before we get before we went out there, I got us on a, a show, and there was a couple of open mics as well. Mm-hmm. Well, that seems like a great place. So I haven't done Hawaii. I was booked to perform at the Hard Rock Cafe in I want to say it's in Maui. Okay, or it was. I think it's it's ashes now. But uh, my buddy Enoch, you guys know Enoch, you know? Uh, yeah, yeah, definitely. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so he lives in Hawaii part time teaching kite surfing. And he got me this gig at the Hard Rock Cafe, which I was really, really excited about. Uh, but my grandpa passed away oh. like a week before the gig. And just things happened. I wasn't really in a comedy mood. And I ended up taking a couple months off. And uh, never got to go back and do that venue. And now I don't know if it exists. Well, if it doesn't, it'll probably hopefully be back. Yeah. Rebuild. Hopefully. Mm-hmm. Knock on. Notebook, knock on pop. Knock on, there you go, there you go, hell yeah. That's cool, Whatever. what are a few other things you're looking to do? Uh, I would like to finally compile a book of my jokes. I just call it the oldest joke in the book. And I just go back chronologically and put maybe a couple thousand of my funniest puns in one compact rectangle. That'd be rad. I can that force upon awesome. people. I like that idea. Yeah, just something to make it feel really official. Because, you know, there's just so many comedians that are great at improvisation and just seeming like they're taking these intangible ideas and just pulling them out of the ether. And I'm not that. I'm a nerd. I, I handwrite everything. I just beat the knowledge into my brain, and I want to be able to share a hard version of that with people. That's So funny. to publish uh, some of my best jokes and – Really just to see my kids go off to college and become their own fun, hilarious individuals and for them to do great things that I can make fun of. Like their their <laughs> happiness occasionally sprinkled with funny mistakes is what I'm looking forward to. And that'll so you want them to be uh to be your material even after childhood. Oh <laughs> I'm hoping so. I'm a, that's that's the way to do it because you know, there's a couple different schools of thought on how you can get material. You can get divorced over and over again. Richard Pryor, seven wives, eight comedy specials. You can't tell oh, me that's a coincidence. Interesting. Jim Gaffigan, you know, five kids, six specials. Five kids. So you have uh, those Catholic. two options. <laughs> what? What's that? I said five kids Catholic. Yeah, five kids Catholic. Uh, yeah, well, I'm a bad Catholic because I only have the two. Now we know them. <laughs> Well, that's one of his bits. Uh, he says how many kids he has, and he says Catholic afterwards. Yeah, Catholic. <laughs> Catholic. No, oh, dude, Gaffigan's amazing. I loved uh, Mike Birbiglia had Jim Gaffigan on his podcast uh, pretty recently. I want to say in the last month. And he said something great. He said, you and Seinfeld are touring together. So what you're basically saying is there's no comedy for anybody else. <laughs> we are going to hog every audience in every city 
and leave nothing. And I'm at home going, ha, 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 yeah, there's nothing. <laughs> they come here, that's it. That'd be a good but, show to go to, though. Yeah. Oh, it would be. I mean, that's a dream team heavy hitting combo. Have you guys ever seen like a big superstar as a guest set? No. Oh, you know what? I so, well, we did the Savage Henry Festival in 2021, and mm-hmm. they brought in William Montgomery as a surprise. Okay, that's a pretty good name. Yeah. yeah. I again, I who did I see? I saw Tiffany Haddish as a surprise opener for Joe Coy. Wow, uh, that's crazy. 2021, and then even better. Adam Sandler was touring with a bunch of the guys from his movies. We were at, I want to say it was the Masonic in San Francisco some years back. And he was always bringing out SNL people. So they're giving this intro. Tonight's surprise guest. He was on SNL with Adam from this year to this year. And I'm thinking, oh shit, it's going to be Chris Rock. It's going to be Chris Rock. It's going to be Chris Rock. David's And favorite. then Norm MacDonald comes out. Oh, wow. Which was still amazing because I yeah. love Norm. I've never been so disappointed and excited at the same time. <laughs> I was so worked up for Chris Rock. They're like, but it's Norm. And, and you're like, I didn't you know, know I wanted this until I got it. <laughs> yeah. Well, if you would have asked me who would be amazing to see and you gave me a list that had Norm on it, I'd put him on top of the list. Mm-hmm. But he yeah. wouldn't have been the first name to just come to mind. Right. Right. Exactly. That's crazy. But he got out there. He was wearing a sweatshirt for a hockey team I'd never heard of that looked like it hadn't been washed in months. He looked kind of disheveled. He didn't make eye contact with the crowd a whole lot, but he was Norm. And that delivery and the material, it was beautiful. And rest in peace. When he passed away, it was just a big shock. When Of all the comedians that passed away in the last few years, I mean, Robin Williams, number one. Mm-hmm. That was the one that I think just made a mess out of all of us emotionally. But Norm is up there. I'd say Norm might be number two as far as the, the heartbreaking deaths of comedians. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, when Paul Mooney passed, actually, that was big for me because Paul Mooney made fun of me on stage. I de facto opened for him some years ago. He came out to do an unannounced set on a show that I was on. And I want to say it was Parkley. That was a Black Rap Theater I mentioned earlier. So he used to headline their New Year's show every year like 2011, 2012, 2013. And it was maybe two days before New Year's. I had a pretty good set. And, you know, I'm dancing until I get on stage, off stage. And the host goes up there. I think it was Jay Rich. He goes, ladies and gentlemen, we have a special guest tonight. The headliner of this year's show. An original writer from In Living Color, creator of Homie the Clown, co-writer of Eddie Murphy's Raw and Delirious, ladies and gentlemen, Paul Mooney. Wow, Jay Rich got to introduce him. That's incredible. Yeah, I want to say it was Jay Rich. It might have been Leroy Stanfield Jr. It was. Okay, I don't one know of him. Those two so gentlemen. I don't know that guy. So uh, let's just. Say I want to say it was Jay Rich because we both know him, but it was one of those two guys that introduced him, and he came up there, and Paul Mooney's first thing he said was uh, he just he kind of did this little move while I was doing a move, and he called me the N word twice. I'll just substitute with ninja. He goes, that white ninja think he a ninja. And I'm like, ah! <laughs> Paul Mooney called me the N-word twice. I have street cred everywhere. I think I'm the mayor of Atlanta now. I think that's all it takes. I think I'm in charge of Atlanta. Wow, that's crazy. That's cool. Yeah. No, it was it was a great time. But 
I should let you guys go. Yeah, my, we my time you... having the house alone to be hilarious <laughs> has come to a close. But I really appreciate being a guest. You guys are both lovely, talented comics, and you're in love with each other, which I love even more. Oh, uh, before I you ship uh... everything, I'm like slavery. I just shipped everything. Oh, <laughs> before you get out of here, you want to plug your social media? Uh, yeah. Uh, I spink, therefore I am. That's the Twitter handle. And spinking outside the box is where you can see me on the Instagram. And if you want to stalk me on the interwebs, my website is thecharliespink.com, put together by the sexiest web host in the world, my wife. She made that page for me. It looks professional. She used a bunch of pictures where I don't look fat, and I love that and appreciate that. So go there, thecharliespink.com. Get updates about the special, when it's going to be edited. Charlie Spink the Pun King live from Yoshi's. Watch it. Love it. Or not. Heckle me from your own house. I appreciate the attention either way. Let's have the fun. Awesome, Charlie. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. Oh, anytime. You guys have a great night. Thank you. You can find me across the board at Funky Sam Medina. And I am at She Shines for You, all spelled out, no numbers. And everything else is at Hypothetical Comedy. <laughs>